Well, good morning and happy Lord's Day. And I I wanna just talk a little bit before I get into the message for today. We are in the second week of this three-week series called Finally Free. And part of this is that we're celebrating the fact that we are having in-person services again, but also we wanted to mark the time that we're having this transition just to say, we're not through this pandemic. We're not through all the strangeness but we wanna take a pause to say, we wanna make sure we're not missing some of the things that God has to teach us in this. So for these three weeks, we're in the second week now, we're gonna be talking about freedom from fear, freedom from pride, and freedom to love one another. And so for this week, I wanna encourage you to do what I encouraged you to do last week, and I hope that a lot of you did it, and that's that each day this week, since we're talking about pride today, each day this week, I wanna ask that you take some time to pray through the reality of how God wants to set you more and more free from pride in your life. And I also wanna encourage you to take some time to fast in one of these days, either from a portion, uh, from food for a portion of the day or from an entire day to focus your prayers so that we as a church family are really saying, God, we want to get what it is that you have to teach us about pride during this time. Um, And I I did these things last week. It was rich, it was good. Um, I even did the fasting where I ate breakfast, fasted from lunch, came home for dinner. Um, Didn't tell Karina, by the way, when I first walked in for dinner, I thought that she was serving us fish, which is super healthy, but not my favorite. And I was like, Lord, how far are you gonna ask me to go with this? Um, But it turned out to be chicken. So the Lord spared me on that. Um, but, But it was just good. It was a good positive experience of focusing attention on the Lord. So I wanna encourage you to do that as we talk about pride. And specifically, as we talk about pride, I wanna ask you a question. And the question is, what is it that makes pride unique from other things that were warned against in the Bible? There's lots of vices. Lots of commands about things that we're not supposed to do or not supposed to practice. I want you just to think for a second, what is it that makes pride unique? And here's the answer I want to suggest. I think what seems to set pride apart from the other vices is that it's a biblical vice that our culture treats largely as a virtue. The Bible, as we read it, would tell us pride is a problem, but our culture would largely tell us pride is a good thing. And basically what pride is about, pride is about self-exaltation. Pride is about selfishness. Pride is about I am important and I'm going to treat myself as more important than others. And you just think of all the self terms that are rampant in our culture. The exaltation of saying we need to practice self-love. We need to practice self-care. We need to cultivate self-esteem. We need to value self-expression. We need to make sure that we practice self-acceptance. And my deal is that I'm not even saying that there's not some role for some of those things, but the fact that we are so consumed with those things, even with self-help, tells us something about our attitude towards pride, that we don't see it as a problem, we actually see it as an aspiration. We're constantly telling ourselves, you should be proud of yourself. You should be proud of the kind of person you are. You should be proud of the kind of life that you're living, even if that's not necessarily true by any objective standard. 
Even in June right now, we're in the middle of what a lot of people consider to be Pride Month. And even apart from us as Christians just looking at us and at this and, and asking what does the Bible say about the issue of homosexuality related, related to Pride Month, it's striking that it's called Pride Month. That it's about the idea that you should have pride in some aspect of your identity. Pride seems to stand out as something that's unique because it's something that the Bible calls a vice and it's something that our culture calls a virtue. And so when we talk about pride, and, and obviously it's, it's opposite, humility, often what we experience is we experience a command where we kind of feel like we've got a knuckle under. Like, all right, God tells us to do something. Pride would really be great. It'd really be great to live that way, treating myself as the most important person in the world. That really would be great, but you know what? God says you can't. God says you got to be humble instead. And, and I know it's kind of a drag. I know it's a bummer, but we, we've got to do it because God said to do it. And here's the secret that I want to unfold today and that I want us to experience from God's word today. Choosing humility over pride is not obligation. It's actually liberation. In other words, pride is not what sets us free Pride is what weighs us down. And so when we get the command to choose humility over pride, we're actually receiving a liberating command to be free from pride. And so we're going to walk through a passage today in 1 Peter. If you have a Bible, I, I do invite you to open up to it so that you can see the flow of the passage. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 6 and 7. And my reading, I'm actually going to start in the middle of verse 5. And so you can read along in your Bible or you can listen as I read. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. This is the word of God. And what we're going to see in this short passage, in these three verses, is Peter is going to talk to us about two parts of humility. He's going to talk about humility towards one another, humility towards people, and then he's going to talk about humility towards God. And so verse five is where he talks about humility towards people. And I want you just to look again at verse five and see how it starts. All of you. Now, again, if you have an open Bible, you'll notice that this is actually the second part of verse five. Um, The first part of verse five is speaking to younger people about how they need to submit themselves to their elders. And then if you moved earlier in chapter five, you'd see that there's some verses about how the elders are supposed to shepherd and care for and sacrifice for the church. And so what we've got is we've got a passage where two different groups of people are being addressed. And that's actually happened throughout first Peter. There was a segment where he talked to wives and then he talked to husbands. There's a segment where he talks to servants and he talks to masters. So he's talking talking to different groups of people and verse five, the middle of verse five is where he says, all right, but now all of you, 
I'm going to give you instructions that apply to everyone, whether you're a servant, whether you're a master, whether you're a husband, whether you're a wife, whether you're older, whether you're younger, whether you're in a position of leadership or not, all of you. This is the shoe for every occasion. This is the virtue for all people. But all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And so there, once again, we're starting with the whole idea of humility, choosing humility over pride when it comes to our interactions with other, with other people. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And I just want you to pause for a second. I just want you to think about all the interpersonal problems that we have. If you spend a little bit of time thinking of some interpersonal problem, you're going to find pride lurking very closely. We've been talking a lot about racism for, for the past several months. I mean, really for the past several decades, but for the past several months, it's been heated up. When we talk about racism, pride is always lurking around the corner because the whole concept of racism is the idea that the color of my skin, my ethnicity, the country that I'm from, that places me in a position of greater importance than all these inferior people of other races or other ethnicities or other backgrounds. When we get into prejudice or bigotry of any kind, pride is a huge component of it. When we get into acts of violence from one person to another, what we're basically saying is, I am so important that my ability to express my rage is more important than your physical well-being and safety. Pride is always lurking around the corner. When we get into verbal altercations, when we get into insult battles, what I'm saying is my freedom, my ability to express myself and vindicate myself from the wrong that I feel against you is more important than how it's going to affect you at an emotional level. When we see marriages break down and end in divorce, it's often because at least one of the partners says, you know what, my personal happiness and fulfillment is more important than the promises that I made you. When we deal with any kind of an interpersonal problem, pride is always lurking there. Pride is always one of the primary pushes towards the problems that we have. So it makes sense that Peter would say, you gotta be humble toward one another. You gotta be humble with one another if there's ever gonna be any peace any harmony, any solutions to the problems that we have. But let me take a step back and go back to the actual command. Think about this. Clothe yourselves with humility. He doesn't just give the simple, be humble. He says, put on the garment of humility. And remember, this is the apostle Peter who's writing this. And many commentaries have, have pointed out the fact that it seems like Peter is remembering, is calling to mind an event in the life of Jesus that he witnessed where Jesus clothed himself with humility in a very literal way. And it's recorded in John 13 when Jesus took off his normal clothes, put on a towel and clothed himself as a servant and washed his disciples' feet. It was a profound act of humility. It was a beautiful act of being the servant, even when Jesus could have claimed that he should be the attention of everyone because of his identity as the Son of God. Clothe yourselves 
with humility. You know, as we talk about this whole idea, what does humility towards one another mean? Humility towards people drives us to sacrifice. It drives us to servanthood, just as it did with Jesus. It drives us when we're dealing with racial issues or we're dealing with conflicts over that, that we say, you know what? It is more important that I serve, that I sacrifice my own voice and I listen to you so that we can have greater harmony. That when it comes to wanting to get back at somebody, either with physical violence or with verbally going after them, that we say, you know what? Figuring out what's going on, having peace, having harmony, having understanding is more important than me getting my vindication. So I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to set that aside so that we can have peace and so that I can care for you, even if I don't feel very cared for by you. Sacrifice means that even when we're in the difficult parts of marriage, we say, I'm committed to you. I'm committed to your well-being. I'm committed to your close relationship with God, even if I feel like I'm not getting a lot out of this right now. Humility means we stop exalting ourselves, stop exalting our own preferences, stop exalting our own felt needs, and we actually elevate other people to the position of greater prominence and importance. But let me give a quick clarification here. Because you might hear all that, and you might think what we're talking about is just the idea that if you're humble, you just don't care about yourself at all. If you're humble and you have any desires, any wants, any felt needs, you just never speak up against, uh, about it because that wouldn't be humble. And that, that's actually not true at all. In fact, go back for a second into the image that seemed to lead Peter to say, clothe yourselves with humility the image of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And Peter, who's writing this letter, had a huge part in that story because Jesus was going around washing each of the disciples' feet. And when he came to Peter, Peter said, are you gonna wash my feet? And when Jesus said yes, Peter said, Lord, you will never wash my feet. In other words, Peter seemed to be taking the uber humble way and saying, I will never let my Lord serve me, Jesus, You don't serve me, I serve you. You don't sacrifice for me, I sacrifice for you. So Jesus, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus' response to Peter was to say, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. Now, why don't you just to let that sink in for a second? You know what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, Peter, The foundation of our relationship is not that you're really great at serving me. It's that I first have served you. It's that I first have sacrificed for you. And Peter, if you're not willing to receive that, this is never going to work. We're not going to have any kind of a relationship at all. Part of humility is the willingness to be vulnerable enough to be cared for by others and to admit our weakness, to admit our frailty, and to admit our needs. Um, And frankly, even the Lord, even Jesus himself practiced this. If you read through the story of him praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, the, the night that he was gonna be betrayed, he knew the cross was coming, he knew betrayal was coming, all of that was around the corner. He went to pray and you know what he did? He grabbed Peter, James, and John and he said, come with me, I need you guys to pray also. 
Now, if you know the story, it didn't work out great because they all fell asleep instead of praying for him. But just think of the humility, humility there. Think of the vulnerability of Jesus there saying, I'm so weak, I'm so low that I need you guys. I'm gonna go pray, but I need you guys to pray also. A big part of clothing ourselves with humility towards one another is saying, I'm gonna take your needs and put them above my own. But another big part of it is saying, I'm gonna be vulnerable enough to admit when I'm needy. I'm going to sacrifice my own perceptions of my dignity so that I can receive the help that I need. And there's so many times where I can think about how how I saw God work in this way in me. But I was remembering this time all the way back before Karina and I were married, I was living with a bunch of guys and uh, and I had come to my roommates and I told them, you know what? I want you guys to be helping me. I want you guys to be resources for me when I'm having a bad day, when I'm having a day where I'm just feeling discouraged, when I'm feeling under attack from the enemy, especially in the area of lust. I just, I want you guys to be on my team. So here's the, the, the request I have for you guys as my roommates. If I am having a day where I just feel like I am under it, I am under attack, can I feel free to call you and just have you pray with me? And of course, they, they all said yes. And I remember specifically this one day where I knew it was a day that I needed help. I knew I was under attack. I knew I was under temptation. I was really frustrated. I was trying to get through it on my own. And finally, I stopped and decided I needed to call one of my roommates. And I ended up calling my roommate, Jason. Um, I don't even know if he remembers this, but I will never forget this. And it was hard to hit send on the phone. I didn't really want to call. I felt frankly kind of pathetic. Like I can't get through this on my own. I've got to call my friend and ask him to pray for me because I just can't get through this. I didn't want to do it. And even when he answered the phone and we started to talk, I kind of talked around it for a while. And then finally I just said, hey, I'm having a really hard time today. I need your help. And man, immediately what I received from him is just that he said, I love you, let's pray. And he did pray for me and it changed the entire trajectory of that day. I just remember five or six times before we hung up, he just said, Dan, I love you. Dan, I love you, I'm with you, I love you, I'm glad you called. Humility is not only when we say, I'm not gonna worry about myself at all, but I'm gonna serve others. It's also when we say, I'm gonna sacrifice my own perception of my dignity and ask for help. Because the first part of our relationship with God is not that we serve him, it's that we're served by him. And we experience that also through other people. Now I want us to look at how verse five ends because it ends with a quote. Peter quotes Proverbs 3.34. By the way, if you read the book of James, James also quotes the same exact thing. And the quote says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. In other words, guys, here's why you should choose humility over pride. Because the God of the universe opposes the proud, but shows favor, gives grace to the humble. Peter's starting to transition to say, this is not just, humility is not just an issue between us. Humility is an issue between us and God. And when you think of all the weights we carry, when you think of all the problems that we have, do you wanna add to that the weight that God is opposed to you? If not, then we need to set aside pride and choose humility. So Peter in verse five talks about humility towards people, but in verses six and seven, he transitions and talks about humility toward God. 
And let's just go through this. Start with the opening command, humble yourselves. All right, now we've just got the overt command, humble yourselves. And again, this can feel like a command that's sort of the bad news command. And no would be great if you made life entirely about yourself. I know it would be great if you were constantly pumping yourself up and exalting yourself. I know that sounds like a lot of fun, but you're not allowed to do it. Humble yourselves. It sounds like bad news, but there are three things that come after this that reveal just what good news this is if we humble ourselves. Humble yourselves, therefore, first of all, under God's mighty hand. Now, once again, on first glance, you might say, well, that doesn't sound good because humbling myself under God's mighty hand sort of sounds like I'm bowing down here and God is just like ready to smash me. His hand is hovering over me, just ready to put me down, make sure I stay low. But remember that Peter is a Jew. Peter is very steeped in Jewish history And the whole idea of God's mighty hand had a very distinct and special meaning to the Jewish nation. And it related to the story in Exodus. It related to the Israelites being brought out of Egypt. In fact, there are 15 times, both in the books of Exodus and Deuteronomy, that this phrase, God's mighty hand, is used to describe the Exodus story. Let me just go back to one of the passages and read it for you. This is from Exodus chapter 13, and I'll skip around. There's four times in this chapter that he uses this phrase. Starting in verse three, it says, then Moses said to the people, commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. We skip down a few verses to verse nine. And he says, this observance will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that this law of the Lord is to be on your lips for the Lord brought you out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And then he talks about passing this along to the children. So in verse 14, he says, in days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. And then finally in verse 16, he says, and it will be a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Here's the point. The mighty hand for Peter, the mighty hand for the Jewish nation was the hand of deliverance was the hand of being saved by God. He is saying, humble yourselves under the saving, delivering hand of God. Humble yourselves to recognize you can't fix your own problems, you can't save yourself, but you know what? God, the God who brought the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, that God can deliver you. So first piece of good news is that we're humbling ourselves before the God who delivers us. But there's a second piece of good news here because he says, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. He says, you know how this humbling's gonna end? You know what the result of this humbling is gonna be? It's gonna be that you bring yourself low and God raises you up. And throughout 1 Peter, Peter has been teasing the reality that Jesus is coming back. And when Jesus is coming back, there's gonna be a great reversal. 
The people in the world who have sacrificed to follow Jesus, who seems like they have lost more than they've gained, there's gonna be a great reversal and they're gonna be rewarded. And the people that got fat and rich off living by the way of the world are going to be humbled. We are humbling ourselves under the saving, delivering hand of God and we are trusting that at the appropriate time, he's gonna lift us up. And we'll see hints of this along the way that we'll humble ourselves and we'll see God vindicate us in small ways along the way. But we're ultimately waiting for the return of Jesus. We're ultimately waiting for when he comes back to be the final king of kings. And we know the vindication comes with him. So two pieces of pretty good news. Humble yourselves, but it's under the saving, delivering hand of God, and that God is going to lift you up. But then verse seven tells us the third piece of good news. He says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, here's what we, what we miss in the NIV that, that I'm reading from, the New International Version here. This makes it look like Peter has moved on to a different subject. In the Greek, it would read literally a bit more like this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that he may lift you up in due time, casting all your anxiety on him. In other words, casting our anxieties on God is not a separate command. It's Peter telling us how we humble ourselves. It says, humble yourselves. First piece of God, good news, God's a deliverer. Second piece of good news, God's gonna lift you up. Third piece of good news, the way that you humble yourself is by unloading your burdens from yourself onto God because he cares for you. Actually, the word for cast here has to do with, with the idea of throwing. It, it, the, there's one other passage in scripture that it's used. It's when the, the disciples throw a bunch of garments over a donkey. So it has to do with that idea. Cast all your anxieties on the Lord. You know, if humility towards people drives us towards sacrifice, humility toward God drives us to surrender. You know, I've had these weights up here the whole time and referred to them a, a few times. And it's meant to be an illustration of the idea in verse seven, that we carry around anxieties, that we carry around weights, that we carry around burdens with us and those weigh us down. And, and I want to apply it, talk about it specifically, just even in the season that we're in, just in this season where we're experiencing all of these limitations and all of these extra anxieties because of the pandemic and all the implications of that. And so here's what I want to do. You know, I got a backpack here and I got a bunch of weights. So maybe this is an opportunity for me to say, all right, there's a lot of problems that need to be solved. There's lots of things on my mind and I want to take care of them. So we might start with the relatively small ones, even though they often don't feel small to us. And say, you know what, during this season of the pandemic, it's thrown a lot of problems into college, either for me or for my kids, and the idea of what I'm going to do next in life. And, and that's a burden. That's a problem that I've got to solve. So that just goes right in there. And, and I've got to figure that out at some point. And what we're facing also has an impact just on my relationships with other people. I mean, there are friends that I'm not getting to see and maybe even because we're, we're home more, some of us who are married, we're having more conflict and we're frustrated about that and we're trying to figure things out and, and we don't know quite what to do. And we, we've got to fix that. We've got to figure out a way to handle that. So I, I need to throw another one in there. And then even getting beyond that, of course, we've got the economic reality. 
And maybe you're just at the point that you're starting to get out into the world and you're saying work is gonna be sparse. Or maybe you've been laid off or maybe your hours have been cut or maybe your company that you own, you're not sure if you're gonna make it through it. And so you just once again add another weight. And we just keep having these things that come up. We keep having these problems. I mean, talk about health. We now have the weight of just wondering, am I gonna get really sick? And how is that gonna impact my life? And the backpack gets heavier and heavier for us to handle. But you know, there's something else that's happened during this time that's not brand new, but it feels like it's on steroids with how we're handling it right now. And that's that we look at the big problems of the world and we suddenly take the burden upon ourselves to say, not only do I need to figure out the right answers to all these difficult questions, I need to convince everybody else to believe those exact same right answers. So we have all the controversy about how our government is handling the pandemic. And some of us look at it and say, not only do I need to have the right answer on how this is handled, I need to convince everybody else that they're just lemmings, that they're just sheep following the government and they need to cut it out and take control over their own lives. And then the other person is saying, you know what? People are being reckless. People are being stupid. I need to make sure that I convince everybody else that they need to keep their butts at home and stop being so arrogant about this. And then we've got the economics of this. And so we've got one person saying, you know, I need people to be convinced that this is gonna wreck our economy for no good reason. And then we've got somebody else that's saying, I need to convince everybody that money is not important of lives as lives. And so we need to stop this craziness. And then we get hit with a whole bunch of discussions about race because of George Floyd and because of some of the other stuff going on in our country. And suddenly it is my burden, it is my job to tell all the people out there, you know what, you have control over your own life, quit being a victim, quit letting other people run your life. And then another person is saying, I need to take on the burden to make sure everybody knows and sees their white privilege so that they start acting according to that. And the backpack gets heavier and heavier. And we haven't even gotten to the biggest one yet because the biggest one is the reality that each one of us needs to somehow know what's gonna happen after death. We somehow need to know, am I okay before God? Am I okay in the world? Have I done enough? Have I been enough? And so I have the weight of trying to figure out, God, have I done enough before you? Have I outweighed all the bad things that I've done? Have I minimized them enough? I've gotta figure that out. That is my burden to bear. That is my weight to bear. And so that, the biggest one, goes into the backpack also. And then we end up with a pretty heavy weight that we're carrying around with us everywhere we go. And everywhere we go, this is weighing us down. Everywhere we go, this is burdening us. And by the way, I want you just to think for a second about the pure arrogance of believing that you are the one in the position to convince everybody else of the right way to view things. Think before even of that, of just the arrogance of assuming that you know the right way to view all these incredibly complicated things. Think of the audacity that goes along with that. And then also think of the toll that this is gonna have on you when you're living this way. I've been carrying this backpack for like, like two minutes. And I'm telling you right now, if somebody came up to me, I would be a lot shorter with them. I would be a lot meaner to them because I'm just dealing with the discomfort of this backpack. And we wonder why people who are burdened with the weight of the world have affairs, get divorces, go into drinking, go into gambling. It's because the weight is not something 
we were meant to bear. Cast all your anxieties onto the Lord because he cares for you. And that means I have the opportunity to say, you know what, when it comes to college, when it comes to my future, I can't solve that. I don't know how I'm going to handle that. I'm going to need to leave that in the hands of God. I'm going to pray that God handles that for me. And when it comes to my future finances, I can't guarantee that my company is going to be there or my job is still going to be there. God, I need you to carry that burden. It's too much for me. God, I need you to carry the burden of my relationships. God, I need you to carry the burden of my health because I can't guarantee that. And God, I'm stressed out over how our government is handling this and how other people are handling this. God, I need to entrust that to you. I need you to carry that burden. It's too much. God, I need you to carry the burden of our economic future as a country. God, I need you to carry the burden of what it's going to take for us to have true and deep racial reconciliation. And God, most of all, I need you to carry the weight of my own salvation. I need you to carry the weight of what it's going to take to make me a child of God and give me eternal life because I'm not up to that task. And Peter knows all too well, because he's been proclaiming it all through this letter, that this is why God sent his son. Jesus came so that we could be relieved of the burdens that weigh us down. And so that we not only could come to him about all of these things, but ultimately that we can know that we have a place in the family of God because Jesus took the penalty for all our sins and threw up in the gates of eternal life. And that means when we're weighed down, we have the relief. We have the freedom to be able to say, I'm free of it. God, you have it now. And by the way, in case you think this is copping out, in case you think this is being passive, here's what this actually means. This means that we have the humility of going to God and saying, I certainly am not up to the task of figuring out the problems of the world. God, I entrust them to you. And then I'm going to humbly move forward in whatever small or big role you're calling me to play. I'm not going to assume I have all the answers, but God, I'm going to humbly act when you call me to act. I'm going to humbly be quiet when you tell me to be quiet. And all the while, I'm going to do these things in your strength. And man, what good news. Pride is the burden. Humility is the liberation. Humility toward one another and not feeling like we have to constantly prove ourselves and humility towards God, trusting that he is the only one who truly can deliver and that he's promised us that ultimately he will. Choosing humility over pride doesn't add a new burden to us. It simply releases us of burdens that we were never meant to carry. And so what do we do? We, we do at least four things in response to this. We humble ourselves before God and we ask him to search us. And I hope that you do that this week. I hope that you do that as you take time each day to pray about this, as you take some time to fast about this, to say, God, I'm praying to you. I'm humbling myself right now and I'm praying that you expose my blind spots where pride is running my relationships with others or how pride is running my relationship with you. We humble ourselves before God and we ask him to search us. Number two is that we daily give our burdens to the Lord. We daily commit those things to the Lord. That's not pride. That's not selfishness. That's the humility of saying, God, I cannot handle this. I need you to handle this for me. 
We daily commit our burdens to the Lord. Number three, it means we play the part that God is calling us to play. And if that's a big role that causes us to have to sacrifice time and sacrifice focus on other things or sacrifice leisure, we're humble enough to do that. And if that means that we play a a small, largely anonymous role, that we're willing to do that because God is going to be the hero of this story. None of us is going to be the ultimate hero of this story. And finally, number four, we keep our eyes peeled for his deliverance. We keep our eyes open for the, the, the sort of sub-fulfillments of that promise that when we humble ourselves, he's going to lift us up. That when we humble ourselves, we're humbling ourselves under the mighty delivering hand of God. And we celebrate the deliverances that he gives us and the victories that he wins. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much that you have relieved us of the burden of pride. You haven't burdened us by calling us to be humble. You've relieved us of our arrogance and of the weight that that brings with us. Father, I pray that you bring healing between us. I pray that you bring healing in our nation. I pray that you bring wisdom to those who are decision makers. And Father, I pray that you relieve us of our burdens that weigh us down as we walk more and more closely with you, expecting your deliverance and your victory in the end. We pray these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And amen and God bless.